When I was in college, uh, many of you may not know, I played a little college soccer, which was fun for me up until my senior year. My senior year, we brought in our third coach in a matter of four years after winning about maybe 10 games out of three years. It was a long four years. And for a guy who hates to run, I dearly loved the sport. But between my junior year and my senior year that summer, I really wrestled with, should I play one more year? I just did not feel it. It just wasn't in me anymore to get up at 5.30 and go run to the gate, which is about a mile down the road, and run back. And to do leg lifts and crunches and afternoon soccer practices and all of these things that I just loathed so much. I just wanted to play. And the, the longer the summer went, it got closer to the season, and, and I finally just made the choice that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be all in. And I did, and I enjoyed my senior season for the most part. We still didn't win very many more games, even with a new coach. We just were horrible. We were just bad. But in that moment of making that decision, of facing, here's what I really want, But this was helping pay for my college. It gave me something to do to keep me out of trouble. It kept my mind occupied. It kept me very healthy. I finally just decided that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with everything that I have. And I look back over my life and everything that I usually put my hand to is usually like that. If I'm not going to give it my all, I'm probably not going to do it. Because I believe that in everything that we do, we should make a decision to embrace the task ahead of us and to be absolutely all in. To give it everything that we have. Scripture teaches us that whatever we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, we should always do it for the glory of God. Which means we must be all in. We should always be all in with whatever we choose to go after. And you know what's funny to me is that the thing that we are called to do as believers is usually the hardest decision for us to be all in with. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. It's shocking to me. The things that I know God has challenged me with are the hardest decisions for me to be all in with. When he called me to preach in college, I told him no. Made a decision a couple of years later at church camp, but I made the decision that pleased me. I said, I will serve you in some capacity. You tell me what that's going to be. I never said yes to preaching yet because I needed to control it. And then six years later, when he finally nailed me to the carpet and said, I'm ready for you, I finally said yes and I was all in. And then he took his time 10 years later to put me as a pastor. But I was all in. Patiently waited. I allowed him to chip away those hard surfaces within my life. I allowed him to to groom me to be the pastor that he wanted me to be. He allowed me to go through situations that really molded my leadership and changed my viewpoint on some things. And those were painful things that I really wanted out of. I didn't want to be a part of those, but because of my decision to say I'm all in, I was all in. And folks, we're going to see a story today An interaction between Jesus and Peter that actually speaks to all of us. We as believers need to make a decision that we are all in. 
in your lifetime as a follower of Christ, you are going to come to a fork in a road that's going to cause you to have to decide, I'm either all in and I'm going to embrace what God is calling me to do, or I'm going to go in the direction that I want to do in hopes that he'll just bless it. And I believe that that's not just a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I believe there's a fork in the road on almost every major decision and every decision that we have in our lives. Because everything that we do should bring glory to him. And yet, as I so often say in the funeral services that I do, there's a battle of wills that go on in all of us every single day. It's a battle of my will versus God's will. And if I'm all in, then I'm sacrificing my will every single day. But if I'm not all in, then that battle rages and I get very confused. So you see, all of us face this. We all deal with, am I all in or am I not? And some of us have been all in for a long time, but we've gotten complacent with being all in. And so here's the thought that I have for you today. Wrong button. Embrace being all in. Embrace it. Bring it in close. Hold it tight. Don't let it go. Don't be scared of it. But be knowledgeable about it. Understand what you're truly embracing, what he's calling you to do. And when you embrace it, when you bring it in tight, be all in. All the way. All the way in. I think it's the tragedy of most churches nowadays is that they're not all in. They are picking and choosing the things that are comfortable that they think are going to draw the most people in and they are not all in on the subjects that they really need to be all in on. It's important to get people. It's important to grow spiritually and numerically. But you know what the most important thing is with church? To stand on truth. And if we can't be all in on standing on truth, then what are we doing here? We, as followers of Christ, as Townsend Church, need to embrace the idea of we are all in. You with me? Okay, good. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to watch this interaction. It's a very interesting interaction because if you remember last week, Peter acknowledged Jesus as being, you're the guy. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. You are always around. You've been around. We know who you came from. And then Jesus told him, hey, I'm going to build my church on that truth. I'm going to use you to build this wonderful thing on the gospel, me. And watch what happens. Remember verse 20, he says, hey, don't tell anybody yet. Which, again, this is the best truth out there. I want to tell everybody. But he says, hold up. And he explains why in verse 21. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So Jesus says, hey, don't tell them yet that I'm the Christ. Here's why. Here's what's coming down the pipeline, and it's not time yet. We're going to go to Jerusalem at some point in time. 
They're going to realize who I am. They're not going to like me. They being the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, they're going to take hold of me. They're going to beat me. They're going to put me on the cross, and I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Now, that's big explanation. The disciples have traveled far with Jesus, both physically and spiritually, and now they're at a place that Jesus is comfortable because of their recognition of who he is to reveal to them, hey, here's what's going to happen to me now. Could you imagine if Jesus would have come upon Matthew at that tax collector's booth and said, hey, I want you to follow me. And Matthew's like, okay, great. Oh, well, Matthew, let me tell you something, though. In a little while, I'm going to die. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mistreated. So if you still want to follow me, I want you to know that's what's going to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us would not have signed up for that. Let's be honest and real. That's not something that excites us. In fact, when we lead people to Christ, we don't lead in very often with, you're going to be mistreated for your faith. Why? Because we don't want to scare people off. We want them to see the love of God and his great forgiveness and the great things that he can do through us and in us. And that's good. But the reality is we do people a disservice when we don't let them know, hey, it's going to get a little tough. But maybe we don't. What if we lead in and we allow them to experience the goodness of God and we allow the Spirit of God to reveal to them in time the things that they can handle when they're ready? That's what Jesus did. Jesus has taken his time and and worked with his guys and proven time and time again that he really is the Son of God, so much so that when he asked them, who do you say that I am, that's their initial response. And so he's taken his time, he's got them where he wants them, and now he's revealing this massive plan that they were not expecting. In fact, we see Peter's reaction in the next verse. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So I want you to picture this. Now, rebuke is a strong word, but I want you to picture this. Peter loves Jesus. Probably more than all the other disciples. Like, he just wants to be right in there. And I can picture Peter taking Jesus by the hand, leading him away from everybody else and say, Whoa, what are you talking about? There's no way that can happen to you. Don't say that. So, yes, it's a, it's a challenge, it's a rebuke, but it's not like a, Hey, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Right? It's a lovingly friendly, like, you've got to be kidding me. You, like, you're Jesus. I've seen what you can do. You, there's no way that you know what you're talking about. Now, it's funny to me because Peter is always out there with his comments, right? He's always bold enough just to say what he's thinking and, and always just does what Peter does. And in this instance, after Jesus just said, I'm going to build my church on the truth of the gospel through you, Peter. I'm going to use you. You are the rock. Peter is now emboldened. And he looks to Jesus and says, oh, no, there's no way any of that will happen to you, Jesus. I know. That sound familiar? Sounds like us, doesn't it not? 
Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Spirit of God, don't, don't, don't let that happen in our world. I, I know it can go this way better. Don't let this happen over here. I know it can do better. Don't call me to do this. I think it'll be better to do this. It's all Peter's doing. He's lovingly coming alongside his Lord and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And so many times when God calls me to say, Alan, I need you to go over here, I'll say, well, I think over here might be a little bit better. You don't know our world, God. Don't we do that all the time? Let me ask you a question. Is that being all in? Jesus strongly comes back at him, lovingly though. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He says, whoa, whoa, dude, you know who you sound like right now? You sound like my adversary. You sound like somebody that's against me. You're trying to tell me, based on your worldly knowledge of all the stuff you've learned from the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, you're trying to tell me, the Son of God who you just said I was, that I'm not going to go do all that? You're a stumbling block to me. You might keep me from doing what I'm going to do, so you need to get away from me. Don't stand in front of me. Get behind me. So when I go to God after the Spirit has absolutely called me into a direction and I say no I think it needs to go this way he looks at me and says hey Alan you're not me you don't know either be all in or get out the way he goes on to say Jesus says to his disciples so now he's talking to everybody now could you imagine if that little interaction of hey get behind me Satan was in front of all of his buddies It could have been, but most likely he probably pulled him away gently as a friend would do, should do, right? That's what we should do? Yeah, we don't do that either. Verse 24, then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires, big word there, to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What a process. If anyone wants so badly to follow me, wants more than anything else in the world to, than to just come after me. Here's how you do it. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, in the worldly perspective, that sounds ridiculous. If I find my Bible, I've not lost it. It's right here. I found it. Right? That's common sense. Jesus says, no, if you find your life, if you think that you've done all that you can to find what you think your life was meant to be, you just lost it. But if you lose your life, if you let go of all your dreams and plans and what you think it should be, then, and follow me, then you will absolutely find more than you thought you would ever find. You will find life. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, 
And then he will reward each according to his works. He says, what does it matter if you spend your entire life trying to rise up the chain to make more money and have more stuff and have the best of things if you die and you spend eternity away from God? You can gain it all and still lose everything. But he says, what if though? What if there's a way to live life in such a way that you lose it all in the beginning to gain it all later. <clears throat> you see, it's not about getting the stuff. Is stuff nice? Let's be real and honest. Yes, we like to have nice stuff. We like to have big TVs and nice cars and, and boats and campers and nice fishing poles and golf clubs and things like that. Right? Let's be honest. But if that's all we're going after, we are missing out on so much. If that's all we're focusing on, we are losing our lives to those things. <laughs> Verse 28 says this. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now he's talking to the disciples. And if you remember, <laughs> there was one of the disciples that passed away. Who was that? Judas. He didn't see Christ rise from the dead. He didn't see Jesus coming in all his glory. He didn't see it. So it's an interesting interaction here. Peter's a strong disciple. He was just recognized by Jesus like, you've got it. You figured it out. And then instantly, he takes, Peter takes that little bit of encouragement, rises above the next level and says, well, then I know it all. I know more than you, Jesus. That surely will not happen to you. And Jesus says, stop. You're getting in the way of my Father's plan. Because the reality is, you must lose it all in order to gain it all. Because if you think you've gained it all, you've lost. Big, big interaction there. So let's pick it apart a little bit. Let's talk about the priests and the Pharisees and what Peter thought he knew. There's familiarity in the teachings. Peter comes to Jesus and says, no, there's no way any of that's going to happen to you. Well, how could he not know that? He knew the teachings. He knew what these guys had taught. But the priests and the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders had taken it into such a different direction that there's no way these religious leaders would ever do anything like this to Jesus. But Jesus knew something different. And that familiarity that the priests and the, the uh, religious leaders had created, the, the familiarity from the, even the Jews... There was a problem with that. It put them in a complacent state that when Jesus brought something new, they couldn't see it. They weren't willing to wiggle. They weren't willing to change. They weren't willing to experience something pure and right and real because they were so complacent in the things that they had always been doing. They liked their worldly, manly thinking, their traditions of men rather than what Jesus was trying to help them understand and make sense of. So many times I believe, we as believers, especially as we get older, we get so familiar with how we've always done our Christian life that when God does work on us a little bit, we don't think anything about it. I love being around people that are always growing and changing 
and maturing and are not scared to say, God's working on me with this. That's what I want. I don't want us to become so familiar and comfortable and complacent in the way that we do things that we lose out on so much more that God has to offer us. I was just thinking about today when we were singing the songs. That third song talks about how we lift our hands as we sing. And I'm standing there with my hands in my pocket and I'm like, you're a liar. Because all my life, as churches that I've been, it's never been okay in my mind to raise my hands. Why? Why? Why is that not okay? Why is it within me that I know my hands should be raised to him? And I can do it here in front of you while I'm preaching. But goodness gracious, to do that while I'm singing, it just goes against everything that's within me that's familiar. And it's caused a sense of complacency within me that I'm just content. This is the way I worship. People are just going to have to be okay with it. But what if God's not? Now, he may be okay with that for you. I'm not saying that every one of us should be wrestling with that. I'm just letting you in a little picture of what's going on in my mind while I'm standing right over there singing a song that says, as I praise you and I lift my hands to you, and they're stuck in my pockets. Why? That's a question I have to work through and wrestle with, and maybe next Sunday you'll see me raise my hands. Maybe you won't. We'll see. So we get to Peter. Now, Peter has this new realization, right? This new realization that I'm the rock. I'm going to be having the church built on the gospel, and I'm going to be a huge proponent of this. And what it does is sometimes when we have these new realizations, it leads to this overextended confidence or passion. You ever watch kids come back from camp? Yes. They come back with this zeal, this fervor, this passion that they're going to set the world on fire for God. Why? Because they got out of their complacency. They got out of the familiar things of life. They have gotten this new sense of resurgence to go after him. But it breeds this almost overconfidence and passion that will burn out if we don't manage it correctly. I've seen people go off to... uh, uh, off to conferences or college or, and they have this massive experience with God and they come back and they've got it all figured out. Right? We, we know people like that. We've watched it. And they think, well, because I've had this experience and I know more, so therefore I'm going to let God catch up to me. And we get ahead Because we get confident, we get passionate. And there's nothing wrong with having confidence in God or passion for him, but it needs to stay in the right spot. It needs to stay behind our leader and not in front of him. That passion should drive us closer to him, not to get out in front and try to lead him. And obviously Peter loved his master. He loved his savior. He didn't want to hear these things. But there's no way that could be true. There's no way they can do that to you. And Jesus says, whoa, hold up. You don't know. You don't know what I know. Be patient and follow me and trust me. 
And so there's new revelations, oh, excuse me, overextending ourselves by putting our plans and ideas in front of his will hinder his plans. When we get ahead of him, we make a mess. And instead of him being able to carry out what he wants to do, now we've got to fix this in order to get to where he wants us to get to. And if we would just stay in our spot with our passion and our confidence and continue to press in and embrace him and be all in, he will take us where he wants us to go and empower us to do what he calls us to do. But we need to be patient with him. These new revelations will lead to growth opportunities. When Jesus, when the Spirit of God reveals new things to us, it reveals opportunities to grow. Jesus takes this opportunity and he speaks to all of the disciples and says, Guys, let me explain something to you. You're still not getting it. You're worried about what the world is going to do to you and that's not what this is about. It is about losing everything in this world in order to gain it all for him. It doesn't matter all this other stuff. Let it go. Lose it. But you guys know as well as I do. The world that we live in, they are trying their hardest to get all that they can. And you know what happens? We get confident in God and think that, well, I can do a little bit of that and he'll use it. Is that not getting ahead of him? Is that not kind of taking some of the control back and not really being all in and saying, I kind of know best. Listen. I love this place. I love being with you. But we must be all in. We all must patiently wait for his direction and what he wants us to do. We cannot get ahead of him. There are lots of things that I'm ready to do. Lots of things I'm ready to build. But he's not yet. And as hard as that is for me to be patient when people constantly ask me, it's not up to me. If it were up to me, we'd be up to debt to our eyeballs during a pandemic, which would have stressed us all out. But God, years ago, knew what was coming, and he patiently said, Alan, put the brakes on. Let's wait. I didn't know why. Wasn't happy with that. Neither was anybody else. But man, could you imagine? So who knows? We'll just let him lead and wait for the growth opportunities from him. Y'all okay with that? I hope so, because that's what we're going to do anyway. (laughs) Isaiah 55 says this. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Can you pick out in there basically what Jesus is saying to his disciples? He's saying, guys, you don't understand it. You don't get it. If you will do it my way... You will do great things. And it may not make sense to you because my ways aren't the way that you think it should be. Peter thought, no way, you can't do that. There's no way any of this stuff can happen to you. I've seen what you're able to do. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. 
There's a bigger plan. It's far greater than you could ever imagine. It's deeper than you could ever dig. It's thicker than you could ever cut through. It's just massive. And Peter, what I need you to do is I need you to get behind me. I need you to be all in. And I need you to simply follow. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. Nor are the way that he does things the way that we do things. And I know in our lives we have lots of disappointments that we just can't understand. Why would God, is usually how that starts out. Why would God allow this to my mom or dad or my friend? Why would God move my my best friend all the way across the country? I don't know the answer to that, but I can encourage you with this. He has a plan, and it's bigger than you can imagine if you will just be all in and trust him. Take back that barrier that you built up. Allow him in to continue to mold you and do great things in you and see what God can do again as he did once before. So let's look at his process. It's a great process, by the way. Always got to trust the process. Unless you're in Philly. Process don't always work. Right, Randy? Not always. So the first thing is this. We've got to have a desire. You can't come into this thing cold. You've got to want it. There's got to be a deep desire within us. Jesus said, he who desires to come after me. You've got to want it. There's got to be a portion of you, a small portion of you that says, yes, this is what I want. Psalm 73, verse 25 says this. This really should be our attitude in so many things. Whom have I have, or whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. I can think of a lot of things that I want on this earth. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family. I love golf. But I do not desire any of them over him. And I will be very honest. Sally is really close. I really honestly have to wrestle with that. Now we we think that's funny, but I'm really being serious here. Because I believe our spouses sometimes, if we're not careful, will take the place of our deepest desire over desiring God. There's nowhere in scripture that says just because she's my wife, it's okay to desire her more than God. And so he should be our single most desirable thing ever. It's him and him alone, nothing else. Nothing else will satisfy, nothing else will will bring us joy like he can. It is he and he alone. The second thing that he talked about was deny. If we desire him, then we should deny ourselves. Because if I'm going to desire him and I do not desire or deny myself, then that battle is going to take place within us. It's going to rage on because my desire for Sally will battle against my desire for God. But if I can take that desire for Sally and set it aside because it's really about me, 
then I can fully focus on him and truly be all in. But how many of us are really good at denying ourselves? I mean, seriously. Please don't ask me how many cookies I ate last night. I did not deny myself. I wanted some cookies, so I ate them. They are tasty, but they don't cooperate weight-wise or health-wise. I don't know what it is about them. We have a hard time denying it. And that's a silly example. But man, let's get into pornography. Let's get into breaking the laws. Let's get into cheating and lying and stealing. and Let's get into some hard stuff. We all like to look at the easy stuff and say, oh, yeah, well. Well, here's the problem. When we go, oh, yeah, well, on the easy stuff, it's the reason we struggle with the hard stuff. We need to learn how to deny ourselves. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, it says, I say then, this is Paul, he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Desire being in the presence of God all your days and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Simple as that. Just do it. Just stop sinning. Well, Alan, come on. Do you really mean that? I didn't say that. Walk in the Spirit. Be in the presence of God all the time. Desire Him more than desiring, fulfilling your flesh. He says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You ever wonder why you... Know that you shouldn't do something and yet you still do it? That's why. Because it's a constant battle within you. However, I want you to know, I want you to know that there's hope in this, that you can become stronger in your desire for the Spirit than your desire for the flesh. And the thing that you may tackle and get past, you may have a, a victory party over that. But just know that it doesn't end there. There's probably something lurking in the background that God's going to reveal soon. And you're going to have to battle with that. It's a never-ending process. That is where complacency comes in and gets us in trouble. Well, I've conquered that. I'm good. And the Spirit says, no, 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 not really. No, there's none good. But God. This is the tough one. Take up your cross. We kind of went back and forth in our sermon prep on some different words. And we kind of landed with embrace. Being being all in. Embracing it. It's it's bringing it close. It's holding it tight. Kind of devoted or committed. But embracing seemed more, I don't know, softer, warmer, and engaging. We should embrace this. We should embrace denying ourselves and taking up our cross because it means that ourselves must die. I want you to think about that. I think we struggle with that so much. Of letting our inner man, the person that was born into this world in that sinful nature that has its mind of its own, that wants to do its own things, that has its own selfish desires. That guy, 
they got to go. That's what it means to take up your cross. It means to let that person die. To take up the model of Christ and live as he lived. To give of all that he has for the sake of the gospel. Galatians 2.20, I believe Paul nails it for me. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but God lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... This physical life that you see, I live by faith in the Son of God. I, he's basically saying, I'm not living it to please myself anymore. This body that you see, Alan, is striving to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. Even though there's a battle within him raging all the time, a battle of wills, he is daily trying to deny himself, take up his cross, and live as Christ. Why? Because he loved me and gave himself for me. That's why. It is the saying, he knows what is best and I want to follow after him. And then the last one is follow. It's to follow him. Wait, wait, wait. You mean that I didn't have to just pray the prayer and all's good and I don't have to do anything else? No, no. Praying the prayer is great. It's a start. The decision to Fully make Jesus Lord of your life is a recognition that I don't know what's best. That I don't have the ability to live a holy life without him. Therefore, I must deny myself and say, no longer can I live the way the world suggests or the way that my mind and my heart wants me to live. I must live a different way. Well, what is the way? I'm so glad you asked. The way is to follow Christ. To look how he lived and how he loved. That is what we are to model. We are to live holy lives because he is holy. We must be all in. Can I just read a passage to you? You can follow along if you'd like. But in Philippians chapter 3, I want to read this. It's so good. We're almost done, I promise. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he starts... He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoicing in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in flesh, I more so. So Paul is is talking to the people of Philippi, and he's saying, listen, if anybody has reason in the flesh as a human to have confidence in what I have accomplished, I do. You with me? So he's going to give us his resume as to why, as a human being, he should have confidence that he has done enough. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's like, if you want to look at the resume of people that are good enough, I'm good enough based on the world standards. I'm blameless with the law. I come from a great Hebrew heritage. I'm the guy. I'm a Pharisee. I know the law better than anybody. But watch verse 7. Listen to this. But what things were gain to me, all those things he just listed were gain to him. These I have counted loss for Christ. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You want to know what it looks like to follow God, to deny yourself, to take up your cross? It means to take all the things that you've ever accomplished in your life and to realize in the grand scheme of things, in the the mindset of spiritual life, they mean squat. He says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's like, if I want to be like Christ, here's what I've got to do. I'm going to serve him with everything that I have and everything that I have gained on my own, I am counting them as loss and I am gaining everything because of my faith in Christ. That sounds really good, doesn't it? But do we even live like that? You see, in our lives, that straight line coming down is our Christian walk. And we always come to a fork in the road when we have a decision between God's will and our will. Of what I want to do versus what he wants to do. It's always a decision point. It's always a spot that we come to. And we all face this regularly. You face it when you entered into your relationship with God. And you said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go after you first. And then every decision after that, we always have a decision point. Are we going to go after God's viewpoint? We're going to see how he sees it, the spiritual direction that he wants us to go? Or are we going to see how we want to see it? And so many times, sadly, I've gotten to that crossroads, that decision point, and I said, yeah, I see where you want me to go, but I like this a lot better. This is a lot easier. And I've had to redirect myself, re-straighten that decision line carry the baggage that came with it and keep going in a different direction. For us, for me, for our church, we cannot look at the world from the world's point of view. We cannot look at scripture from the world's point of view. We can't look at each other's relationships from the world's point of view. We must change our viewpoint. We must get to that decision point to say, I am all in and I'm going to see everything through the eyes of Christ every single time. Embrace being all in. When you leave here today, many of you are going to forget this sermon. And that doesn't hurt my feelings. It's just going to go right through one ear and right out the other. You're going to say, oh, that's nice. I appreciate that. But for some of you, you're going to wrestle with this a lot. You're going to look at every decision that you make and you're going to say, am I deciding for God or am I deciding for myself? And my prayer for you is that you willingly lay down your desires to do what you want to do and you pick up the cross and you follow after him and go after him in everything that you do. Everything. Everything, from the clothes that you wear, to the food that you eat, to the way that you talk to somebody, by the way you live your life, all the way up 
until the things that you do when no one is looking. Embracing being all in means I am all in. All the way. Here's some questions to ponder. Question number one. Where am I in the process that Jesus laid out? Are you still in that desiring spot? You at least want it. I know that I want it. Not quite yet ready to make that full jump, but man, I want to know more. Great place to be. Don't stop there, though. Maybe you're already at the denying phase of, listen, I'm trying to deny myself, but it's a real struggle. I need help with this. Maybe you're at the embracing phase. Maybe you realize, yes, I am all in. It is tough, but God, keep me in this place to where I can continue to follow. And maybe you've already done all those things, and it's kind of not easy for you, but you're in a good rhythm. And when it comes to these decision points, you already can see the two distinct different directions to go. You wrestle with it a little bit. You spend some time in prayer and contemplation. You are patient and you wait and you take on that new cross and you are able to follow. May God continue to bless you as you continue to do that. But where are you? You know what the best thing for us as believers to do? The, the thing that is needed for all of us, it's, it's a really simple word to say, but it's really hard to do. We've got to be honest with ourselves. And if you don't feel you can be honest with yourself, find someone that you can do life with that will be honest with you and you are willing to hear that from them. <clears throat> Here's the second question. Do I recognize decision points in my life? When I get to that fork in the road, can I actually see, oh wow, this is a big decision here. This is a decision that will either going to take me closer to God or away from him. Can you recognize them? Maybe that's what you need to be asking God today is, God, help me to see these decision points. I keep making a mess and I keep missing these blessings and I keep missing these things. Help me to see when you bring me to this point of decision, help me to see the two spots that I can go. And the third question is this. Do I direct God or am I being directed by God by embracing being all in? Are you the director of your life or is God directing?